Hi there, I'm Dan, and welcome, or welcome back, maybe, to the Shaw Vineyard Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take just a moment to subscribe in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. That way, you can get every message from our church straight away on whatever device best suits you. You know, it's our hope that the message that you're about to hear in this episode would encourage you to take your best next step in your faith journey. So let's get straight into it. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. And if you're in the Forest Hill or the Bays area of Auckland's North Shore, we would so love to have you at our next service this Sunday. You can get details on service times and more info on our kids and student environments by visiting svc.org.nz. That's svc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time here on the podcast. I hope that brings something tonight that might actually um, just help you with the process um, of growth. Because who knows that following Jesus is a process of, um, of growth, of journey, of change, of learning. You know, and who knows that that doesn't stop. A really dear friend of mine, she's in her mid-60s. She had a sabbatical and she came back from her sabbatical and she shared with me her journey. And it was this story of just what God was doing in her heart and what she was learning about her own nature and her need for the Lord and her own sort of fears and jealousies and things in her heart that were just broken, God identified and was healing in her. And I thought at 60, I'm like, at that point, I was like, right, so this just doesn't stop then. You know, we come to Jesus in need and we just keep walking on the journey of following Jesus, still in need, don't we? Because he just loves to heal and restore and he doesn't do it all at once, right? I mean, I'd be a wreck if Jesus did everything at once in me. It would just, I'd probably you know, implode. My brain couldn't handle it. My heart would break. It'd just be too much. And God, in his awesome mercy, has just walked with me and gently pointed things out and shaped me over my lifetime. And I know that there's so much more to come. And why? Because he wants good for us. He wants his children to be free and healed and whole. And so I want to talk a little bit about that. And it requires uh, uh, what the Bible calls a renewed mind. You know, we see in Scripture this invitation to not conform to the standards of our world, um, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And the message puts it really well. It says, don't simply fit in with your culture without thinking, you know, but to do not conform, but be transformed. Like there's this invitation for our, a paradigm shift for us. Henry Ford is this dude that developed the motor car and in the 1900s, and it went like, gangbusters like cars became cool they became affordable and he produced them by the zillions and he said when asked about the transition from like horses to cars he said if people asked me what if i sorry if i asked people what they wanted they would have told me they wanted faster cars faster horses um but not cars and so there's this kind of thing sometimes where we we you know sometimes change comes hard doesn't it in our own lives. And sometimes change comes hard in society. And there is paradigm shifts that come along the way within business, within industry, within faith that lead us in our journey of knowing and loving Jesus. Jesus called the disciples to follow him. And that is an invitation of learning of him, 
His call, you know, in the scriptures we see this invitation where Jesus rocks up to these fishermen and goes, come follow me. And it just looks like he's doing some voodoo. He's like, come follow me. And he doesn't say anything else. And they're like, yes, master. You know, and they leave their nets. And, you know, but we, we, we learn from what we understand of the, the context of the times is that if a Jewish rabbi came up to a fisherman and said, come follow me, it was a, a deeply validating invitation that said that you have got what it takes to learn from me. And rabbis were deeply, deeply respected. Um, you know, and, and in fact, there's more to it than that. You know, there's um, a sense of actually that the disciples sort of failed Jewish school and they were doing the family trade. And then, but in Jesus' invitation, he was actually validating the fact that they hadn't failed, but there was more, more to be had. And I love the mixed bag that Jesus grabbed together, man. The disciples were a ragtag bunch, if ever you've seen a ragtag bunch. You had Simon, who's like a political activist, Simon the Zealot. So it's like a militant activist. Like, who would like to hang out with a terrorist for lunch? You know, like a known violent terrorist. You know, you'd have some interesting dialogue over a cuppa, wouldn't you? You know, but slam Matthew the tax collector into this mixture, and you've got like this terrorist, and then literally the opposition. You've got a dude that's the opposite, and he's like betrayed his own country. He's like this turncoat who's sort of um, who's who's taxing and buying into this oppressive regime that the terrorist stands against. I don't know. It doesn't even tell us how these guys get on, but that would have been complicated. Jesus grabs this mixed bag as a demonstration of what a community of faith can be, diverse and challenging and an invitation um, to allow our relationship, love for one another, to lead us, not our differences, is an invitation just in the role model of the complexity that he had in the group that he invited. And so um, Jesus invites us to follow him. He's, he invites them to a movement, three years of learning and growing and understanding him. And as I read about these mixed bag disciples, uh, you kind of get a feel for the fact they were slow learners. They spent three years with Jesus. And he got frustrated with them, actually. He's like, oh, how much longer do I have to put up with you guys? You know, literally said that. Um, you know, and at one point, he literally says to one of them, get behind me, Satan. Like he just, in a, in a moment of just like, Dude, you are batting for the wrong team right now. The disciples missed it so much, and yet Jesus persevered with them in love. And that, I mean, they would argue about who was the greatest. They'd have like, literally fights like, no, I'm going to be better. No, I'm better. No, no, I'm going to be better. You know, I'm going to be greater. No, I'm going to sit at his right hand. They're literally arguing and debating about this, and Jesus interrupts them in these times. And he's like, honestly, guys, you've got to get with the program. Luke 9, verses 51. Listen to them here. Jesus resolutely sets out for Jerusalem. And as he sent messages on ahead, who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. Like they're like, hey, we know where you're going. You are not welcome. You just got to keep, just pass on. Keep on your way, mate. When the disciples, James and John, sons of thunder, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven? <laughs> And destroy them? Like, you've been hanging out with Jesus for a while now? You're watching Jesus heal people? Like, you know, socially reunite people after they've been healed? You've seen Jesus do these works that are just mind-blowing. And all of them are good. All of them are kind. You know, gracious acts. And they come to this moment and they are so off the ball. Do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them, Lord? And Jesus replies, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. And he rebukes him. He's like, guys, come on. You, you know, you're, you're thinking from the wrong perspective here. You're, you're playing for the wrong team. And, you know, I've had these moments in my journey where as I've walked with the Lord and, and faced 
challenges, faced my own humanity, my own broken perspectives, I've been confronted with the nature of God in those moments. And I remember chatting with one of my workmates many years ago, and it was sort of like a, a, a turnaround moment for my heart and my actions. And he said this about the poor. There was like a famine on TV, and there was all these poor people starving um, in a country overseas. And he says, you know what the poor need? They need a nuclear bomb. We need to blow them up, and then they won't be hungry anymore. And I was fuming. You know, I'm this new Christian, and I'm like, no, this justice thing rises up in me. And I said, what if that was, and I started to hassle him. I was like, what if that was your family over there? Would they need a bomb? What if that was your brother? And as I started off on this tangent, the Lord just hit me like a hammer to the heart. And he said, Scotty, both of you do nothing to help the poor. (laughs) It's like, whoa, just in my own heart. I just stopped in my tracks. (laughs) Back to my smoko, (laughs) you know. And I mean In that moment, what the Lord was just identifying as I pointed the finger was that I was actually doing nothing to care for those that were struggling on the fringes of society and those that were even within my sphere to reach with my excess and my wealth. And And so that was the day I started a journey of what it looks like to not see all my finances as just for me. It was a time of turning. You guys ever had those moments where God just schools you? The Holy Spirit just whispers something into your heart. And it's not, you know, it's painful, but it's precious. You know, it's painful, but oh my Lord, <laughs> the life and healing and wholeness that comes out of that moment, it's still reaping fruit in my life today. And that was like, you know, 15 years ago or something like that. And just recently, I've been th- thoughtful, you know, in my journey of God and how he reframes paradigms for us about the language we use to describe our relationship with him. And, you know, when I came to faith, I remember saying to the Lord, God, just use me. Use me, Lord. I'll do anything for you, you know, and it's sort of these, these sort of promises and declarations. And, you know, it's kind of the surrender. There's something precious, isn't there, about a surrendered life, a life that's kind of willing to go, God, it's yours. Do kind of do with me what you will. But I had an understanding of God that had been taught to me actually by the founder of the Vineyard Movement, which would John Wimber, who would say, We're just currency in the pocket of God to spend as he pleases. And you know, there's something beautiful about surrender, but there's something incomplete about that metaphor that's actually there's actually damaging about our images. Did he spend them like currency in his pocket? Look at the nature of the relationship that Jesus invited his disciples to. Come and follow me. And he gave everything to them. He shared with them all that he had. The nature of that relationship was that I don't call you servants, I call you friends. For servants do not know the master's business. Friends, you know, servants do not know what the master's doing, but I have called you friends. He's, and he invited them into sharing in his ministry, partnering with him and sharing in all that he has. And we have a language, I want to be used by God, I want God use me, spend me as you are. It's like, that's just not the nature of God. He hasn't spent us and used us. He shares with us all that he has. Listen to the picture of the, the father and the story of the prodigal son and the older son. Both sons he went to, and I love this, both sons, he ran to the prodigal, embraced and wrapped him up, healed this broken image of sonship. Then he goes to the oldest son who's griping, who's angry that his father would, would, would welcome his, his youngest rebellious son back like that. And he says to his oldest son, my son, you have always been with me and everything I have is yours. That's the nature of God. And I've learned this in the last two years. <laughs> it's like I've been a believer for what? 
you know, all this since I was 16 years old. And suddenly God just got a whole lot more beautiful to me. The nature of God is that he wants to share with you all that he has. And he is, and he is beautiful. He is wonderful. He is good. His nature is kindness incarnate. And so these are some of the paradigm shifts that I've experienced. What are the things, though, I want to kind of invite us to? And what are the things that shape us? What are the things that... Um, we can see in scripture and in life that lead us into these moments of having paradigm shifts. Because there are, there are some circumstances that are helpful for, sh- for reshaping us and revealing something of the nature of God that we couldn't otherwise experience. And I want to talk about these kind of four things today. Because if you ask anyone that's journeyed in the faith, and these are just Scotty's observations. These aren't anything profound. They're kind of just what I've noticed. And, um, and I, I made them all start with E, so that was fun. Um, so how do we experience paradigm shifts? And I want to frame this with John 16 verses 3, where Jesus says to his disciples, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. There's so much more I have for you, he's saying. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, the Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all the truth. And so Jesus is saying here, I'm going to keep teaching you. This isn't the end of the line. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and the rest of Acts is still being written of the ministry and the Holy Spirit leading us in in our knowledge of him and our growth in God. And so having a renewed mind comes from a life where we are inviting the Spirit to meet with us. We have a heart that's open to let God shape us and speak to us. And sometimes it happens when we're mid-sentence in the wrong direction. And he'll just... Hammer to the heart. Sometimes it's in the small whispers of a quiet time or a walk along the beach. Sometimes it's in moments of solitude and silence, of just waiting. You know, God, He's just the Spirit's not limited. But these things invite us. These are these. So these are the things that I've um, kind of just observed through Scripture and, and um, history, church history, my experiences, having these paradigm shifts. And so number one is exposure or self. In this kind of look. Forgive me for making them start with ease and making this bit rhyme, but it kind of is, it's helpful to remember. Exposure or self-disclosure is that we walk through life and we, we limp and we walk with a tenderness of our vulnerabilities, of our fears, and of our sin. And sin, look, I, I like to kind of debunk the sort of, the sin's a heavy word, but sin is, you know, in the, um, in the Greek, I think is kata, which just means missing. So if I want to, I'm going to throw this to, Calvin and Calvin's going to catch it, but unfortunately, I cut, I missed the mark. The mark was Calvin's hands, and I missed. And this is the this is the word that was used to describe sin in the New Testament in the language of the time. It's missing the mark. It's like this sort of we're aiming for something, but we fall short. Hands up who feels like they've done that a few times in their life. Two hands up if you're like me, right? We all do it. And when we walk, and there's so in this understanding that we are, a, we walk with a limp, we walk tenderly with our own vulnerabilities, fears, brokenness, and sins, our own times, and we've missed the mark. That in that place, we've got kind of two options in life that we will get exposed. That stuff gets exposed, it comes out, it happens. Um, and, and sometimes we can actually avoid exposure by self-disclosing, by bringing that, like bringing that vulnerability, bringing that pain, that brokenness, or times when we've missed the mark to others. And in the place of self-disclosure, discover healing 
and, to, and like, it even it opens us up to allow God to speak into that place. And so I want to tell you a story about King David quickly, where King David's this man after God's own heart, and he loves the Lord. He dances in the nick before Jesus, you know, in front of people. He's like, I don't even care. I just love God. You know, he's this really radical dude. And, um, and so, and he has a really broken moment where he's up on his rooftop at night. You know, he's like hanging out. By the way, you know, dudes, late at night, bored King David. There's a good parallel for guys here in the internet. <laughs> you know, and he's literally looking over the fence at, at this lady who's bathing. It's like, dude, get off your roof when it's late at night. You're going to get in trouble up there. Um, and so this guy, and he, and he lusts after um, Alice, and he, and he sleeps with her, and he gets her pregnant, and he gets her husband sent into the fiercest part of a battle and gets him killed, so he murders her husband, intentionally sends him on a suicide mission. And then he's sort of in this broken place where he's really missed the mark, right? Like horrendously. You don't get much worse than that, do you? Like, it's nasty stuff. And God in his kindness exposes him. He sends Nathan the prophet to King David. And he tells him a story about a rich man who's got it all. And he's got like, you know, sheep and cattle and everything he ever wanted. And there's a poor man who's got one ewe lamb, one little lamb. That's all he owns. And the rich man's having a mate over. And he takes the poor man's little baby lamb and he butchers it and he serves it up for lunch for his guest. And King David's furious and he's like, what? In all my life, this man should suffer for what he has done. And King Nathan goes, you are that man. That's what you've done. King Nathan's like, knife to the uh, King David's like, just knife to the heart. He's exposed his vulnerability, his sin is broken, it's exposed before God, and he repents and he goes to his grief and sort of understanding. You know, there's these moments when we can get Peter was exposed when Jesus, you know, he's like, Surely God, I will never deny you the next day. He's like, Jesus who? You know? When Jesus is on the cross, he just completely turns his back on Jesus. And he's exposed in that moment, and Jesus redeems him. You know, three times Peter denies him. Three times Jesus asks him, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. You know, feed my lambs. And so there's this image of the, of the invitation, even when we brick it royally. And we do, don't we? Don't we miss the mark? <laughs> don't we walk with a limp as followers of Jesus, as just people? Um, and so there's this, we have got an opportunity because otherwise what can happen is we walk through life and oh, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. And we pack our bags and our bags with us and there's a couple of hand grenades in there, but it's okay, I'm not going to jolt it. <laughs> Hopefully none of them go off. We're <laughs> 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 exposed. We've been carrying hand grenades in our luggage and sometimes we need to bring the stuff out. And I just want to invite you, if you're, carrying, if you're carrying grenades in your luggage, self-disclose. Don't wait for them to go off. You know, the Bible says confess your sins. Confess the times you've missed the mark to one another. And pray for one another. So invite God into that process so you may be healed. And the prayers of those that are right before God are powerful. They're effective. So if you're carrying stuff around, chat to Vic and Fran. If not Vic and Fran, chat to Cal. If not Cal, find someone you trust. And sometimes there's some deep waters. Sometimes we're hiding away addictions and, um, and really big stuff maybe that have happened in our past. But I tell you what, there is freedom and healing and hope on the other side of self-disclosure. And I want to invite you to that tonight. Don't wait until you're 40 or 50 for this stuff to go off in your luggage, young people that are young among us. Create a habit of self-disclosing. One of the habits that I have as a married man is that if I sense any attraction to a woman that's not my wife, Leanne, then I talk about it. I've got a friend of mine who I go to and I talk about it. I don't, unfortunately, I'm not going to him every day. But, um, 
But what I'm trying to do is self-disclose when things start, start um, sort of, you know, if you like, just kind of grabbing something in my heart just inwardly. I try and get that out as quick as I can. I've learned this sort of helpful habit of just like, let's quickly just talk about that before it becomes something it doesn't need to be, before it becomes something that could derail and, and blow up my marriage or blow up, you know, my children, the pain that would inflict on them if that hand grenade, you know, if a hand grenade like that went off in my luggage. So I want to invite you to this practice of self-disclosure. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Find a spiritual mentor. Keep short accounts on any obvious insecurities, sin, or bad attitudes that develop in your heart. You know, keep praying through those things with people that you trust. Number two, so exposure or self-disclosure. In these, we get we have we have uh, we, we invite God into that, and there's these there's moments of healing and new thinking and understanding. In that place, I learned something about the nature of God and the humility of Jesus and the vulnerability that He experienced as He suffered our, our wrath on the cross, as He suffered and you know and went through that, as He um, and made Himself. He's, he, as he made himself vulnerable for us. So I learned something about the nature of God. Number two is kind of endurance through pain or difficulty. And this is one that's not popular. <laughs> you know that Jesus prophesied that we would have trouble in this life? That is, you know, people kind of get, these days there are a number of churches and church leaders that will teach this thing they call a, that gets labeled the prosperity gospel or prosperity doctrine and it's so broken it's so dysfunctional god is not a father christmas in the sky to make our lives um to make you know to like to, just to give us gifts when we want he's not there just to make us rich he's not a he's not a quick fix sort of situation he is the lord of creation and he longs that we would know him and walk with him but there is a gospel that would tell us that we are uh, in a transactional relationship, if we do the right things, then we'll get from God. If we give, we're going to get it back the same, and if not more, you know, this kind of thing of like, you know, it's, it's, it's like almost like God is a slot machine. Yeah, there's some weird stuff out there, guys. I tell you what, when I look at Scripture, it's pretty much just pain and difficulty. <laughs> so be encouraged. Okay? Um, Jesus says, you will have troubles in this life, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. You know, there's more to this life than meets the eye when things are bad. I've overcome it. There is hope regardless of how bad it gets in this life when you're suffering and going through pain and trial and disappointment and loss. Take heart for I've overcome it. And there is a hope on the other side of this that this, that, 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 that this pales in significance of. I look at the legends of the faith. And, um, and through Scripture, you know, most of the disciples were persecuted and ultimately um, killed for their faith. And these guys, you know, think of Paul and Silas, uh, who experienced incredible pain and difficulty. Jesus has risen, the Holy Spirit's poured out, they're preaching, people attack them, they strip them naked, they beat them, they lock them in jail. And I, I love this, I just, honestly, I just think this is brilliant. Acts 16.22, the crowd joined in an attack against Paul and Silas. The magistrates ordered them to be stripped, beaten with rods after they'd been severely flogged. Whatever that looks like, that doesn't sound good, does it? Not good times. They were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. So they are literally like, they are chained up. I actually went to the prison in Rome, I think, where this happened. Um, which was amazing. The um, little little jail celly thing. I think that's um, on the um, Roman Forum. Correct? I'm looking at people that might know. No, maybe not. <laughs> Don't think so. Anyway. Um, hey, it's, it's in Philippi. It's around the corner. <laughs> Very funny. 
And uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> about now, listen to this. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing to God. These guys are beaten and naked in jail, and they're singing and worshiping to the Lord. In the midst of difficulty, when your Wi-Fi's out, <laughs> when your coffee's cold. <laughs> Things are really tough. <laughs> What's our heart response? Richard Wormbrandt, who is, is a, Google him. <laughs> Richard Wormbrandt, an amazing, amazing uh, missionary and um, follower of Jesus, was beaten severely in jail. And he writes in his uh, journals that he, was, he had moments beaten, and they would beat the soles of his feet. I mean, how horrific is that? They were just beaten. They beat the soles of his feet, so even walking was incredibly painful. He said that he, such a joy would well up with him in the Lord that if he didn't dance to, ex, to give expression to that joy, he felt like he would explode. <laughs> Guys, we need to learn something, don't we, <laughs> about what God is like in the midst of our loss, difficulty, pain, and disappointment because we will have troubles in this life. And oh, what a gift it is to discover the tending of God, the ministry of the Spirit that can even bring joy in the worst circumstances into our hearts. I had a guy come up to me once at the end of a service and he goes, Scott, I really need to talk. I'm really doubting God at the moment. I'm like, come on, man, let's sit down, let's chat. And we took a seat away from the crowds and I said, what's going on? I put my arm around the seat and I'm like looking at him and he goes, my cell phone broke. I'm not kidding you. This is exactly what he said to me. <laughs> and I'm really struggling to understand where God is in this moment. And he's like 16. And, and in my heart, I'm like, what is wrong with you? You know. <laughs> and my mouth is like, oh, that sounds tough. <laughs> Jesus, give me grace. You know? And it was a big deal for him. And so we started talking about, you know, what, why did you know, where's that coming from that you, know, you thought that because you're following Jesus that your cell phone wouldn't break? And that, you know, we start this dialogue and conversation, but we need to discover, I think, in our Western context, that, you know, in, our, in a world of luxury and excess and, and enough, more than enough, this thing of like in the middle of our difficulties, the tending of God and inviting God into that space because, boy, you learn something. I mean, I want to know what that's like, don't you? That when I'm in the worst possible circumstances that I could be overflowing with worship and joy. Like I've got to dance because I'm so stoked about just the love that God is pouring out on my life. Sound good to you guys? Who wants that for a kind of a faith? You know? Um, I think I'm... How am I looking for time? Five minutes. Awesome. Bringing it into land. Um, I'm going to go rapidly through this bit. And uh, the third one is encountering God. When I was 16, I thought that God was an idea that was far off. And um, as I sat at the back of a service, just like this, I half, as, the, as the man up the front said, um, if you want to follow Jesus, then you can come forward and we'll talk about that now. And I thought, yep, I do want to follow Jesus, but I'm going to wait till I'm 50. I was a genius. I'm like, I'm going to have all the fun I want. And then when I'm old and like way past and I'm about to die, 50, I'm going to... I'm going to come back to the church and follow Jesus. That way I get the best of both worlds. Like I'm bada-bing, bada-boom, I'm a, I'm a legend. And so I went to walk out the back of the church and a man who I'd never met before intercepted me at the back and he goes, look, I don't know you, but I feel like God's speaking to you. And he read my mail. He said, you've got two choices. Either you can come at the front or you can walk out these doors. And the Lord just wants you to know, 
This is not hap, heavy, is it? That the decision you make tonight, you can't go back on. Like this is there's something of like an of a you're at an intersection, you need to make a call. And I'd never met the guy before. And uh, and you know what? I think that probably would have been the case if I'd walked out those doors that day, because I'd just made that decision. I'll come back when I'm an old digger, and I don't think I ever would have. I don't know if I ever would have. But the Lord in his mercy caught me there. And the thing that struck me was that God wasn't just an idea that was far away, that he knew what was going on in my head. Like, man, and if he knew what was going on in my head, then he's close. And he cares. And that touched my heart. I went up the front and I cried like I've never cried before. I had a paradigm shift as I encountered how the, the, you know, the, the love of Jesus, the kindness of God, and I experienced it tangibly. And the last one is exploration. As we explore God, that we experience these paradigm shifts. Nikki Gumbel, who runs the Alpha Course, go Alpha, we're running ours shortly too, um, who runs the Alpha Course, he was disgusted when two of his mates became Christians, absolutely horrified. And he, um, and he thought, right, that's it. I'm going to read the Bible so I know how to argue them out of this ridiculous thing that I've just done. And so he grabbed a Bible, went away for a weekend, read the whole thing. And at the end of it, he closed that book and with an understanding, he was a, um, a barrister, not a barrister, didn't make coffee, did law. He... <laughs> Um, he understood the science of textual criticism. He understood the validity of, of what he was reading. And he goes, this is true. This is real. This book is not mythical. It's a record. And if it's a record, then Jesus, if Jesus really is who he said he was, and this means, you know, it changed his life. And so he was convinced as he explored the scriptures. And I want to invite you to that. As I have explored the scriptures, I've discovered the, the, um, the shifting power and the truth and the power of the words of Jesus and the life that he invites us to as I've explored that. Why don't we stand to our feet and in the uh, mixed bag of what I presented, invite us to open our hearts and our lives to the Lord again. And what that means to what I'm saying when I say that is I want to invite you to ask God to fill you, to shape you, to speak to you tonight. And I'll get the band to come on up and they can play some elevator music in the background. And, um, and we're going to, as they do that, just invite God to meet with us, speak to us and shape us. And it might be for you that um, the Lord is inviting, inviting you to be a person of self-disclosure, a person that's willing to bring your stuff out in front of someone you trust and talk about the, the, you know, the stuff that's in your luggage that needs to be kind of brought into the light, that he could minister to you and that. You could discover the kindness of God, even in your own vulnerability, in your own, in your own cart when you've missed the mark. Because there's nothing like it. When we discover that God still loves us and is for us and not against us, that his, that his face is towards us and that he wants good for you, even in the midst of our, um, our own missing of the mark. You know, it might be that um, for you that you just need to encounter the Lord again tonight. And he just wants to encounter you with his love. Maybe he wants to encounter you with something of his nature and speak into your circumstance. And transform your paradigm tonight in that moment.